All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Talk the EPL podcast. I am your host here, Jack Nash, and I will join you each and every week talking the latest and greatest in the English Premier League. Uh, welcome to the pod, second episode here. Thanks for listening if you listen to the first episode. Thanks for listening if you listen first time here. Welcome, and we're happy to have you. So two great interviews today uh, with correspondents, Craig Holden, um, from Talk of the Terrace, talking all things Liverpool after a wild matchup with, with Spurs on, on Sunday, late on Sunday, as well as Tom Foynes from the Tottenham Way. So we'll have both reactions uh, from both reaction from both sides to that wild, wild game on Sunday, as well as looking forward Champions League for those people, for those teams, top four implications uh, going forward. We'll talk about the future of the Reds and the Spurs. And we'll also be joined by Jack Critchley, who will join us each and every week, giving us our hat trick at the end of the show, which is just a little three three bets he likes. He's a betting expert on a plethora of forums and, and mediums there. Um, we'll give his full resume when we do introduce him a little bit later in the pot. So, first and foremost, obviously a great match week over the weekend. Um, things that stick out, first game of the weekend, Man City draw. Burnley, uh, you know, somewhat surprising. Obviously, Burnley's been a tough out, though, this year. Uh, that was early on on Saturday. Then late on Sunday, he obviously had the the crazy game between Liverpool and Tottenham, and then the Chelsea defeat, the Chelsea thrashing four one Watford at Watford. Uh, that may send Antonio Conte packing. We'll we'll talk about that as well. Um, but first, I just want to note out. You know, I talked about Man City tying here, but what we're seeing shaping up for is a very interesting and 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 I believe one of our guests today will will share about. If United, I mean, not sorry. If City was not in this year, if you know, they, if they take them out of the league, we have one of the most interesting title races of all time, maybe. Um, with with su- su- such compact two through, even if you want to say uh, two through six, if you want to include Arsenal, just because of their you know, very very sound execution and defeat of Everton, and not not, not sure how much that says about Arsenal due to the uh, recent Everton form, um, but it would be a very interesting title race. That said, now it becomes a top four. Two teams are going to get left out, and then you know those teams are United, Liverpool, Chelsea, Tottenham, Arsenal. Of those five, two are not going to make Champions League next year. Except if they, these teams, what they want to do is actually start rooting for Man City. Um and and it might not make sense, obviously, off the tongue there. But the reason why is, and I think that Man City, you know, most people would argue if any team has a chance of winning, you know, obviously five teams left in the Champions League out of England. That being said, if any if any team has a chance, a real real legitimate chance of winning the uh, Champions League. It's Man City, and, and the reason why these other teams, you know, that are going to be fighting for top four finishes, want to be pulling for Man City is because if Man City do end up winning the competition, they automatically qualify, and the Premier League would be granted essentially another spot. So automatic qualification for Man City, then the next four teams outside of Man City would get in, which would open up another spot for the Chelsea's, Liverpool's, Tottenham's, Arsenal's. Of the world, um, United as well. So, you know, something to keep your eye on. If, if you know, and maybe another another one of these teams makes a deep run. But if an English side can can win the 
win the Champions League, it will open up that fifth that fifth place team, whoever finishes fifth in the Premier League, uh, a qualification for Champions League. And and both both guests today <coughs> of talking Liverpool, talking Tottenham, will speak on the importance of making that competition for both sides. Um, so that's just one quick take right there. A little reaction here to Sunday's game. Liverpool, Tottenham, it was an absolute all-world game and with some all-world goals. Um, with Wanyama and and Salah. I mean, even Salah. I mean, Salah was just such a stunner uh, considering the implications, the timing, you know, the defenders he went through, the finish. Just so messy-esque, so picture, picturesque. Um, just absolutely stunning. And, and, and the Craig Holden will talk about this as well a little bit later when he comes on about how you know it stinks that and it's very unfortunate that you know after the game we're talking all about the referees with a goal that with a game that held you know a pa- Harry Harry King getting over his hundredth goal um, you know the Golden Boot race the Sala finish late the Wanyama finish uh, we're talking about referees we're talking about VAR we're talking about decision by linesmen and it's just very unfortunate. And, you know, I'll harken back on what I said last week in terms of VAR. And I'm very much in favor of it, you know, as long as it can be done in an efficient manner. But regardless of the efficiency, the the importance and the just the justification of getting the calls right. Obviously, Harry Kane's uh, first penalty would not have been called. It's clearly offsides. Speculation about the second one as well, you know, and different angles. So, so I think VAR in an efficient manner would be great. Uh, in this situation, but even just in any matter, just get the calls right. It's just most important. And I think where Liverpool will be, you know, and, and it have been most disappointed, and if put yourself in a Liverpool supporter's shoes here, would be the fact that the head referee on this second penalty that ends up forcing a draw, Harry Kane converts late after the 90th minute, is, you know, the, the head referee waves off any claim of a penalty. And then, Play goes on, they go up the field, and next thing leads to another. And the linesman calling people back. He's making he's making the penalty call from what 30, 40 yards away? I mean, you gotta be so, so, so certain about that. And then and then, you know, even as the head referee, when you do come over to consult, you have to be just so gosh darn certain that that it is the right call to go with it. So Two things there, I think, they're hard done to be, to be, to did in by the linesman, you know, after the head referee adamantly claimed no penalty, and as well as VAR, just get it in here and get it efficient. So, quick, that's my quick takeaway from, from that game. We'll obviously talk with Tom Foynes, Tottenham Way, and Craig Holden, talk of the terrace with reaction to teams, both sides, and just going forward. The next... The next, you know, point we'll touch on here is Chelsea. Uh, Conte, will he stay? Will he go? A lot of talk, a lot of speculation. Former Barcelona manager, you know, eyeing the job, it appears. And if I think, the, the one thing I think speaks to Conte st- sticking around for at least the short, the near-term future is the fixture list. You look at the fixture list, and they have West Brom Monday night. That They lose that game. I don't see him you know, getting on the plane home. Or, or getting on the bus out of there as the manager. That's Monday night. So back-to-back Monday night games for them. Then they have Hull City 
FA Cup, another just super winnable game. You're looking at two, two wins right there. You know, if if and 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 they got to be you know assuming that those are two wins, then is where it gets very interesting. And it's Barcelona, United, Man City, Palace, okay, and then Barcelona again. So look at that five match stretch. We talked similarly about Tottenham's tough stretch coming up, and they've got four points out of these last two games with United beating United and salvaging a tie against Liverpool late. Um, and, uh, and now they're sitting pretty confident going into Juventus' matchup Arsenal this weekend. Um, so I mean, if you're gonna you're gonna sack a manager, you want the new guy coming in during these West Brom Hull matchups. Um, you know, so I don't I don't think it's gonna happen until at least after. The Champions League Barcelona, like you look at, and maybe maybe before Palace, if they do fall to Barcelona, United, and City, but I, I think it would be done by now if they were going to sack him to get the new manager in, get his legs underneath him for West Brom, Hull, and then then tackle Barcelona. So I, I think Conte stays in the short, you know, the short future, and barring a West Brom, it would be very for them to bring very difficult for them to bring in a difficult for them to bring in a manager. Ahead of United, ahead of ahead of United, ahead of Man City. Okay, maybe Palace after that run. But and it's just another intriguing take is is you know from from the American side, um, sports America, hockey, baseball, football, hockey, baseball, football, <clears throat> and um, basketball. Sorry, the you know you win a championship, that coach just gets the the leeway of at least me. Probably, if not you know, the one next two years, at least you know the one next full season. This, you see Moreno go out after a championship. You see Conte win last year, and it looks like he may not survive this year. It's just, it's just a very different, very different standard. And you know, it's more cutthroat. It's more, you know, reactive to the recent form. And and also, you see the importance of bringing in a new manager and getting that bump you'll get. You see that a lot from the lower sides, but you could also see this here in a top four chase for Chelsea. So I think Conte stays just because, looking at the fixture list, if you're going to sack him, you sack him before West Brom. You sack him before Hull. You don't, you don't wait to sack him before Barcelona. So I think they win the next two. They roll through in Barcelona. United struggle in all three of those matches. Could see struggle in all three of those matches. Could see a replacement come in before the Palace game after that because um, they could be they could find themselves you know on the outside looking in of top four at that point. So, quick, quick Chelsea take there. Um, Arsenal Tottenham's obviously um, Arsenal Tottenham's obviously the premier matchup this weekend. It's at Tottenham. Uh, it's at you know we'll, um, you know we'll get Tom Foynes' take on it. I just think it's going to be an excellent matchup. I think it'll be a lot of energy going forward. I think Arsenal are going to prove that this this Everton domination was not just a flash in the pan. Was not just a product of playing Everton, uh, but they want to prove. And and it's a huge game in terms of points, in terms of top four finishing. Um, Tottenham are fifth right now. Arsenal six, a little bit further down, uh, in, in the sixth hole there. Um, so I just think it's going to make for an absolute great game. Very much looking forward to. Um, to you know, we'll leave it at there. We talked to Gunnar Gimli last week about Arsenal going forward, and we will talk to Tom Foynes about Tottenham going forward. Uh, one team I want to highlight here: Burnley. I mean, we talked about Man City. You know why these other top sides are rooting for them to go on and win the Champions League. But Burnley go out and get a tie against the presumptuous champions of the Premier League. They go out and get a tie. 
solid team sitting in the you know the best of the rest essentially sitting in that seven hole. Uh, and and I just like to highlight. I mean, this is what these sides want to do. Any side really, but especially uh, you know a side that's not the top six is you want to you want to get points in every game. You should get points, whether it's a win, whether it's a draw. You just don't want to come up with a goose egg in games. You should get points. So let me just read off here games this season where Burnley have not have not have lost. West Brom early, I think it was first game of the year. Okay, then it's Man City, Arsenal, Leicester away. Okay, Tottenham, Liverpool, and Palace away, and then United. So that you know the the three that stand out there: West Brom, you know, first game of the season. Okay, Leicester away, Palace away. Okay, those are those are you know, games you can argue where they should they should feel like they should get points from that. Other than that, it's Man City, Arsenal, Tottenham, Liverpool, United. That's the only spots that are dropping points. And and that and and you know they'll they'll be fine with that because that means every other matchup this season they've gone out and, and gotten a result. Uh, only top six tides left they're playing is Arsenal and Chelsea, so they are sitting pretty right now. I mean, could they be poised to to maybe chase down Arsenal in the six hole? Possibly, you know, depending on this Bamiyang McTarian relationship development, you know, rekindling. We'll see. I wouldn't bet on it. But you look where they're at now. They're 36 points last year. They they had 40, so they're going to surpass that big time. Last year, they were 16th, only six points out of relegation. Like I said, Arsenal and Chelsea, only teams left on the docket in the top six that they have to face this year. And, and they're doing it kind of the right way, just playing sound fundamental football. Chris Wood, leading goal scorer. They're not going on the back of a you know a great run of a striker. Here's, here's got four goals. He's our top scorer right there. So spreading the wealth for sure. He was signed over from Leeds late in the transfer, August 20th. So, you know, 10 days out, 11 days out of summer transfer window closing. They bring in Chris Wood from Leeds. He's their leading goal scorer. Four goals. Um, so it just shows their balance and, and their defense as well. Ten clean, sheet, 10 clean sheets. Obviously beautiful. Only one error leading to a goal this whole season which is something that you look for when you're trying to not be at the bottom of the table is just limit mistakes under a goal a game giving up it's about 0.88 they're giving they're conceding a game that that's fantastic in terms of you know a side that finished just 6 points above relegation 16th place last year um so just want to highlight kind of what Burnley's doing they're doing a job week in and week out in games they should be getting points they are going out and doing it um you know they're not being beaten by sides that they shouldn't shouldn't lose to, which is you know, and, and when you do that, and you, you know, even at these top sides, I mean, you look at a side like Liverpool, they drop points to teams they absolutely should not drop points to, <clears throat> and, and and you know, don't get a result in games like West Brom, you know, the tie West Brom, and, and and but they're able to make up for it because they they beat sides, you know, like a Man City and and you know, Arsenal and, and and sides that they maybe shouldn't beat, you know, maybe should tie, maybe maybe should go on the road and lose. Um, United. Uh, so, really, just want to do tip of the cap to what Burnley's been able to do this season, and they're the best of the rest. Like I said, seventh place, sitting pretty, thirty six points, four four points off of what they, where they were at all of last year, with a pretty decently easy schedule. Only big six clubs left: Arsenal and Chelsea uh, going forward. 
So just look for Burnley to continue what they're doing. Uh, they got a great result, 1-1 against City this week. And just look for them to build on it. So, you know, talking a lot of a lot of top top six big clubs, top four implications. Um, talking about predictions with all our guests thus far. Just want to give my get them on the, get them on the uh, on the on the record here as far as top four predictions. And we'll even talk a little relegation recap here on the weekend here. So just top four for me. High seed ending up obviously City one. I think United two. And then, you know, this is where it gets a little, little hairy. Arsenal looked good against Everton. They're a little bit, little bit back in terms of points beyond Tottenham. They don't really together. So one point separate Chelsea, Liverpool, and Tottenham. I think it finishes with Liverpool and Tottenham in the top four. Chelsea and Arsenal on the outside looking in. Um, you know, we'll talk with. You know, those correspondence from those two two sides that I have getting in the top four uh, when it's all said and done. Just, just you know, think it might be a little too much ground for Arsenal to uh, to make up here, as well as they still have Europa League. Um, you know, so they're not they're not out of, they're not out of Europe. You know, and with Mkhitaryan coming in, a man coming in, uh, losing Alexis, you know, whether that was good or bad for the side. I think that you know, it's going to take a little bit more time to gel. And, you know, w- w- granted, Liverpool, Liverpool did not bring anyone in to replace Coutinho. Uh, we've already seen the, the mishaps of Van Dyke uh, coming into the side and struggling, honestly, thus far. But that's where that's where it'll be for me. City, United, Liverpool, Tottenham. Make it, make the cut. Chelsea, you know, just miss it. And then Arsenal a little bit further down. So there's my top six prediction. We'll get it on the record here. We can go back. We can, we can scrutinize it. You can tweet in, whatever you need to do. Just a quick relegation recap. Then we'll get to our interviews. <sighs> Stoke, go up one nothing to Bournemouth over the weekend. End up losing the game. That's not what you like to see. Um, Swans, they go out. They get a point at Leicester, which they'll be happy about for sure. Huddersfield, 2 nothing to Man United. Can't play much there. Then West Brom. 3-2, tough defeat to Southampton. What do they got coming up this week uh, in the relegation zone? Stokies are home to Brighton. The Potters, that is, home to Brighton Saturday. Swansea's home to Burnley. Talked about Burnley's effectiveness this year. Um, Huddersfield, Bournemouth, that's a Sunday early game. And then Monday night, West Brom get a reeling Chelsea. Uh, my bottom three, I think Stoke is the one among those four that stay up. I think Swansea... West Brom, who are four points you know, from the from the nineteenth hole, um, stay down, as well as Huddersfield Town. So those are my predictions. We just want to get them on the record. Uh, we'll talk more next week about this, this solid slate of games we have coming up this weekend. Uh, stick around to hear Jack Critchley's bets. Uh, you know he's got some good action coming up. Nice three piece, nice hat trick for the weekend, and uh, as well as. Craig Holden of Talk of the Terrace, talking all things Liverpool, reaction to the absolute crazy madness, electric um, Tottenham tie this weekend and going forward. Talking a little Champions League, talking a little top four, you know, not January recap, and then talking to Tom Foynes 
of the Tottenham Way. Both do fantastic work. Check out their podcasts. We podcast and work and accounts. We plug them throughout the interview. But uh, yeah, please make sure to do that. Really appreciate those guys coming on. And then Critchley, always good with the hat trick. So enjoy that. Thanks for listening. I'll catch you guys next week. And uh, enjoy enjoy this match week coming up. Thanks. All right, now joining the Talk to EPL podcast is Liverpool expert Craig Holden. You can follow him on Twitter at copjaffer underscore uh, LFC. He's a podcast host, producer, and editor. He's always on Periscope as well for halftime and full-time reactions of every Liverpool match. And he's head of operations at Talk of the uh, Talk of Terrace Sports. And you can follow that on Twitter at Tot, T-O-T-T, Sport. So, uh, Craig, welcome, welcome to the show. Thanks for coming on. Oh, my pleasure. Absolutely delighted to be here. Awesome. So this is uh, being taped on Monday after the electric uh, and, and somewhat disappointing from Liverpool's perspective, uh, Tottenham-Liverpool match. Talk to me about just your immediate reactions from that. I'm sure you've been talking about it all day and uh, kind of, you know, like I said, your immediate reaction. Electric is a really nice way of putting it from your side. So well done on that mm-hmm. one. I'm going to try to do my best to keep my calm here. Um, I suppose in the overall perspective of the game, I feel a draw is probably a fair result. I mean, I feel we had much better of the first half. Spurs certainly dominated most of the second half. I think the last five, ten minutes of the game is what mars everybody's view of it. And I just want to start off by saying, regardless of what we talk about here and how we talk about refereeing decisions, what hurts the most from a football fan, and that's what I am underneath everything as a football fan, is that we're not discussing the magnificent goals by Victor Waniyama and by Mohamed Salah, we're going to be discussing mm-hmm. mainly refereeing decisions, and that's what annoys me the most about this uh, and yesterday's game, if I'm being honest. Yeah, and and like you said, two two electric goals, but but the uh, and fantastic goals, all world goals. Um, but but a lot of the talk is talking about the the referees, the decision, especially just in, in the fact and in the manner of which they were made, uh, with with the linesman you know, making a call that after the referee had referee waved it off. Just quickly talk about, you know, just your, your, your reaction to the fact that it was a linesman from what, 30, 40 yards away, uh, making a call over overturning essentially the initial call by the head referee. Are we talking about the second goal here? The, the, penalty yeah, the, sec- that the, the second scored? penalty, the second penalty. Yeah. Well, the, the interesting thing here is if we had VAR involved in this scenario, which has been trialed in the FA Cup and has been used in various leagues across Europe, I think it's used in Bundesliga and Italy, and I can't remember if it's France or not, but it looks like it's going to be brought in in England and it's going to be used in the World Cup this summer. If we're looking at it from a VAR perspective, the goal is ruled out for offside before anything mm-hmm. happens, before Van Dijk kicks or hits into Lamella, before anything else, it's ruled out for offside. There's a freeze frame picture where you can see clearly see the, they're going up for a header. The ball's not a down and Lamella's offside. So if we're looking at it from that perspective, we have to understand that it would have been chalked out from there. But everything that goes on after that, and we have to accept that it was a marginal call. So we'll give the linesman the benefit of the doubt for not seeing that with the naked human eye because, you know, it was very marginal. From there on in, though, it was a farce. The... I, my personal point of view is that Lamella threw himself across Van Dyke. None of us can deny that there was contact from Van Dyke, and even the most ardent of Liverpool fans can't deny that Van Dyke certainly at least brushed off Lamella to some extent. But what, what gets my I suppose gets my wick as a Liverpool fan is John Moss was in a better position than the linesman. Clearly in a better position. He immediately waves away the penalty, puts his arms out, makes a big gesture of saying no penalty. Then play carries on for maybe three to five seconds. 
And then all of a sudden we're rushing back for a decision from the linesman who he was happy to ignore and kind of overturned his viewpoints a few minutes prior. But this time, what really annoys us the most is you see the linesman celebrating when the referee gives the penalty. The linesman mm-hmm. almost gives himself a fist pump to say, yes, that's a penalty. We got this one right. It was just farcical and it really did mar the ending of a fi- fantastic game of football. Yeah, and and talk about just you know let's think penalties aside. You know the one Yama goal was magical, but but Liverpool's performance in the first half uh, was was very very good, and it seems kind of this could be a little bit of a, a problem with them where they, where they are so good going forward, especially at, at long stretches, but they have a tendency to only get one, and uh, you know in in that first half you could easily see them getting two, three, four. Uh, is that something that that you've seen and and uh, you see the form drop off a little bit in the second half? But just talk about how when they are flying, how they've they've kind of not capitalized on every opportunity that they do have. There's certainly no denying that our front three are capable of tearing a team apart. Uh, they can score some magnificent goals. Mane can score them from anywhere. Salah can score them from anywhere. Firmino can score them from anywhere. But we have to. What we have to admit as Liverpool fans is they're very raw to an extent, especially Mane. Mane's first touch is horrendous. I think a lot of the problem with Liverpool's striking options is our final ball and our decision-making in the final third is poor. And that's what lets us down. I think that's the major sticking point to us ripping teams apart. And yesterday, going and getting those two or three goals against Spurs. We can get ourselves into these positions, but it's that final pass or the final moment, the decisive moment where if our players are getting time to think, we're, we're, we're causing errors, we're making the wrong decision. With Mane and Salah, for instance, a lot of it's instinctive. If they don't have time to think and they just have to act on impulse, they're making the right decisions. But when they have that time to look up, will I take on a defender? Will I get to the byline? Will I cross it in? That's what we think. We seem to be making mistakes and that's what annoyed me the most about the first half. Yeah, and it's also, you know, you can see it too with their form against the sides of the bottom of the table that sit back. They're lacking a little bit of that that finishing touch and that that key to unlock just that just a team that's when they have all the time in the world to sit back and think you know 60 70 80 percent possession uh, they do sometimes struggle with with finishing having that finishing touch um, particularly and, and, by the way I just want to touch on that unlocking of defenses when we play against a team with a low block this is where Emre Chan and Genie Wijnaldum forward to break it up pre- play with a high press and forcing errors and turning over play but if they're if a defence is sitting back and saying to them, come on, get past us, they aren't the right players. We don't have a creative enough midfield for those type of games. Yeah, and you, and the guy who was you know was quintessential with that was Coutinho, and you obviously see him leave in January. Talk, let's talk a little bit about January here with you know Coutinho going out. First, let's just talk about your 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 take on their decision to sell Coutinho in January, and uh, and then we'll get to kind of not replacing him as well as Van Dyke coming in, but just the decision to, to sell in January. They're, it's they're absolutely farce. It's farcical to sell him in January, to keep him and do the hard part in the summer, to to tell Barcelona it's not happening, and then to keep him in January, and then suddenly to bend to his will and say, okay, we're going to sell him without having any forward planning for the situation. Everybody knew Coutinho was leaving eventually. Everybody knew the summer was the best case scenario for us. He'd go through the season and he'd leave in the summer. So for us to be left in that position where we're essentially selling, as you said, our most creative probably goes far as to say best player in this yeah. window with absolutely no forward planning involved is is it's negligence it's gross negligence and and you know you look from a Barcelona perspective he's he's cup tied so he can't play in Champions League they've already locked up um you know, La Liga 
And so this is just cherry on top for them. They're not they're not clamoring to get his services in. Uh, they've got everything wrapped up. So it even seemed more sensical that they would, even if he was agreed to, uh, you know, terms were agreed for a sale. With you know, it might be an Abby Kaita situation where it's agreed, but he plays the rest of the season here. Um, Liverpool seem to have a lot of leverage there um, with the fact that he's cup tied, like I said, and Barcelona being so far up in La Liga, um, and then and then you see him go out the door, which is which is very tough. The thing about both deals in January for Liverpool Football Club, we moved on um, Daniel Sturridge and we moved on Felipe Coutinho. Now, nobody can deny we got amazing money for Felipe Coutinho, but that's no good to us as supporters. But the point I want to make here is the two deals that were done benefit only the players involved and the, and the buying clubs. They do not benefit Liverpool Football Club in any way, shape or form in regards to benefiting our season and giving us the best chance of success in winning trophies this season and in challenging for, well, I suppose challenging for the title is a bit, bit much, but in securing a top four place. If they make no sense. They make absolutely zero sense from a squad perspective. Only from a monetary value is the only way they make mistakes. And even with Daniel Sturridge, that makes zero sense. I understand the point that says Daniel Sturridge wants to play in the World Cup. Daniel Sturridge wants to try and secure his place in the England team. But first and foremost, we have to look after Liverpool Football Club, not Daniel Sturridge. Exactly, and it goes back to the mantra, no player bigger than the club. But these, like you said, these are two deals that benefit, clearly, but only benefit the player and or the, the buying side or, or loaning side. Um, so so you talk about Sturridge going out. And now, you know, just if you're looking at the, the, the depth chart, if you will, from an American term here, um, with strikers, obviously Firmino's a workhorse in there. Uh, Sturridge goes out, not that he was seeing a lot of time, but the Dominic Solanke's been a little bit lackluster in terms of form in the Premier League and, and, and when he's gotten chances, as well as uh, Danny Ings is a little bit raw coming off two injuries. They're a little bit susceptible, if you will, uh, at the striker or forward position. You might see Salah or Mane play there uh, if Firmino did, get, did take an injury, but it is, you know, not a lot of forward thinking, like you said. No, and tonight there was another 23 game involving Liverpool and Danny Ings picked up an injury, surprisingly. So hmm. what you've just said there makes perfect sense. All we can hope for with that front three is if Firmino picks up an injury, as you said, maybe Salah or Mane goes through the centre and we push Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain into that front three. But to have the possibility where look, we're looking at the rest of the season now, we're having Dominic Solanke as the only backup to Roberto Firmino is it's ridiculous. It is absolutely ridiculous that a club with the stature of Liverpool Football Club, with the money we have on the bank, with the TV revenues, we're, we've put ourselves in this position. Nobody can convince me that Daniel Sturridge staying at the club wouldn't have benefited us, even if he sat on the bench. Even if he comes yeah. on for like one Champions League game and makes a difference, it's more beneficial to us than him joining West Bromwich Albion on loan. Exactly, scores a late goal, you know, coming on the last 10 minutes when they need one. And you also think about, I think back, uh, Divac Origi loaned out at the beginning of the season as well. He w- he was uh, an adequate, at least as a backup position. They let him, you know, do a full season over in Wolfsburg. Um, and yeah, you talked about Danny Ings picked up injury under 23. And I saw the Lana also saw red in that game as well for a little bit of a, you know, like a chokehold of some sort. So that was, that was interesting to see. Um, and the thing about well, the thing about Daniel Sturridge, another point that I'd like to make is people say he Klopp wouldn't have given him a look in. There was no way he was going to play. And I understand that thought process, but I also try and counter with this. Do you not think that Daniel Sturridge every day in training could have benefited Dominic Solanke and Danny Ings by showing them things, by, by those players watching his movement? Just him being at the club would have been beneficial to them, whether he played or not. 
so true. I didn't, you know, it's something you don't think about, but him being a veteran, veteran goal scorer, um, you know, Englishman as well, uh, there could be learned leaps and bounds from him. So that is, that's a fantastic point. Let's talk about, and I, and I said last podcast that, you know, Liverpool were a little bit of a victim that the fact that they, they got the big business uh, that they did do in January with bringing Virgil van Dijk done so early that by the end of the window was kind of an afterthought, especially after he had a, he obviously scored first game FA Cup um, against Everton, but he had a little bit of a struggled some in his, his two appearances after that, um, which is the loss, two losses, Swansea and, and West Brom. Uh, talk about just bringing in Virgil van Dijk and uh, you know what, what you think it does for the, for the back line. Virgil van Dijk is the most important transfer that we've made in the past five years, in my opinion. Bringing him in was fantastic. It was well done to FSG, well done to everybody behind the scenes, well done to them paying the money that they paid to get him in and back the manager. We can't underplay how big a signing Virgil van Dijk is. From my own personal point of view, I'm happy to give him the rest of this season to just find his feet, to get used to Klopp's system, to get himself back to fitness. That will benefit us at the start of next season because it's kind of my whole theory about why we didn't bring somebody in during this window. Even if we don't get much from them in this window, they're ready to go to start the next season. But just to come back, I suppose, to Virgil van Dijk, it can't be understated. He's not going to solve the problems on his own at the back. He's, he's just not going to do it. But it's a massive statement from the club. It's a massive backing of the manager from the owners. And I think it can only be seen as a positive thing. 75 million quid for a defender. It's, it's, it's brilliant. I'm really, I was so happy when he signed. Yeah, and like and like I said, you know, we got the business done early January one. He's in there, which is fantastic. And then obviously it's a little bit tough to see Coutinho go uh, and not be replaced. You, you know, just briefly before we touch on a little bit more forward thinking, uh, the the idea to not bring anyone in. You talked about not forward planning. Um, do you think it was just a matter of they didn't want to force it? They didn't want to play extra money. Uh, wasn't the right, there wasn't the right people available? What was your take on them? The only real the, the only person that came in uh, this window was. Uh, Virgil van Dijk and not, not an attacking player it's a massive roll of the dice from Jurgen Klopp if we get through this season and we qualify for the Champions League and we you know we have a decent run in the Champions League people will turn around and they'll say you know what that paid off he'll get his business done in the summer but I ask myself the same question at the end of every transfer window I say Craig have we given ourselves have Liverpool Football Club given themselves every opportunity to succeed in this season? Are we stronger than we were before that window started? And I think no, because during this January transfer window, we were still in the FA Cup. We could finish maybe as high as second in the league, which is still a possibility. And you never know what happens in the Champions League. We bring in one player, he clicks into place. Mo Salah has a great game. Anything is possible because it's a knockout competition Absolutely. over two legs. So I don't think we've given... I think as fans, we're, we're a bit fed up hearing... We're building for tomorrow. We're looking ahead to next season. There's nothing wrong with strengthening for today and trying to win stuff now either. Correct. And and you know, I guess I totally agree with you said with the the roll of the dice there because if they if they do to finish top four, uh, you know, and they you know they have a maybe a good run, maybe beat Porto Porto in the uh, Champions League, and then and then maybe give a good good tie in the quarters. I believe it would be. Um, you know, then then it's okay, it's okay, and, and you, you buy buy heavy in the summer, uh, like they talk, like they're talking about doing. Uh, but if they do not, and you know, tough tough losing three points, uh, which would have been a three point jump on Tottenham over the weekend, uh, there's going to be a lot to answer for for the for the lack of activity, as well as just the the action to sell Coutinho 
in uh, in January when when we just talked about kind of it didn't benefit the club. They didn't have much forward planning, and uh, you know they had all the leverage with the fact that you know we just needed about four more months out of the guy. We look at this season now. We see Mohamed Salah is on fire. We hear Real Madrid possibly looking at him. We see Roberto Firmino seeing his best mate leaving the club. We hear rumours of the club trying to offer Roberto Firmino a new contract. None of these things are going to happen if we're not in the Champions League next season. We aren't going to, even if the club have deals set up for the summer, I guarantee you at least half of those deals will fall through if we're not in the Champions League. This club has been in the Champions League twice in seven years. It's not good enough for a club the size of Liverpool Football Club. For us to even give ourselves a 10% chance of not qualifying for the Champions League next season is too much in my view. But I do back Jurgen Klopp, so I don't want to sound like I'm not behind the manager because I'm grateful that he's the manager of this football club and I'm grateful that he's here. And I I think it's a calculated risk from his point and I hope it pays off. I really hope it does. Yeah, you know, so you see with the top talent, uh, it's tough to, tough to get them in, in any window. Uh, when you don't have that Champions League football kind of dangling right in front of their face. So now let's let's talk a little bit forward thinking first and just present day. Assuming everyone's fit here, you got to go out and win a, win a game tomorrow, win a match tomorrow uh, with Liverpool. What is your starting eleven? I know you see a lot of rotation. Klopp's seen a lot of rotation on the side this season, um, you know, for better or for worse at times. But what, what's your best eleven right now, assuming everyone in the squad is fit? Can I assume that Nathaniel Klein is fit, or is that too much of a stretch? That may be. We'll, we'll leave Klein out of this um, uh, for, for argument's sake. Okay, so I'd probably I'm go curious, with... I'm curious to hear uh, where, where you stand between Trent and Joe Gomez. Trent Alexander-Arnold and Joe Gomez. It's a, it's a tough call, and it, it might depend on the opposition. Both have faults, both have frailties, and they're both young. Joe Gomez has been caught with a ball over his head on three occasions. Um, he's been taken apart by a left winger. But then Trent Alexander-Arnold is right. I'd go with Joe Gomez at right back, if I'm being honest. If it was a gun to my head, it would be Carrius in goal, Joe Gomez at right back. Obviously Van Dijk, but I'd partner Van, partner Van Dijk with Dejan Lovren, not with Joel Matip. Then I would go with Robinson at left back. People. Yeah, it surprises me because I, I don't rate Lovren as a defender. I just feel that he's a better partner for Virgil van Dijk. I feel van Dijk can talk Dejan Lovren through a game and can set Dejan Lovren up better than he can with Joel Matip, who I think is a little bit lightweight. Dejan Lovren has it in him to be a very good defender. It's just, again, when he has those moments where he has to think or he has to panic, I don't think he's right. But I think with, with Virgil van Dijk, they'd form a better partnership. So that back four then with Robertson at left back. Midfield's where it gets really interesting for me because mm-hmm. I'm going to go with... Adam Lallana, um, I'm going to go with, this Really, this is a really tough call, but I'm going to go with Jordan Henderson and Emre Chan, as, along with Adam Lallana. And it's purely because I can't separate Jordan Henderson and Emre Chan to put Alex Oclay chamberlain in there. So I'm going to go with both of them because they both have their merits. And then obviously the front threes. And then obviously the front three picked himself of Salah, Mane, Firmino. Can't argue very much with that eleven. The midfield is obviously, you know, the front three sets itself, but the midfield is tricky for sure. So now, uh, before before, and thank you, you know, so much for doing this. But let's just look ahead real quick before we shut it down here. To we talked about the gamble of not bringing an in a replacement for Coutinho or a more of attacking, and obviously bringing Van Dyke. Um, but from the attacking side, not bringing someone in and the potential of missing out on Champions League, uh, where they sit right now. It's, they would be in if the season ended today, but talk about where you see this season going forward and you know how you see the dust settling when the Premier League season's over for Liverpool. 
I'm very, very confident we're going to finish in the top four spot. I'm, I'm probably more confident than I should be. We had mm-hmm. a discussion on our own podcast about this, and the way we kind of came to the conclusion was that obviously Manchester City are going to win the league. So then it's only three from five, really, for the next places. So uh, myself and our team think that we're going to see Manchester United, Liverpool and Spurs take up those three places, and it's going to be Arsenal and Chelsea that are going to miss out on Champions League football this year. And you saw Chelsea ticket got walloped today uh, by earlier today by Watford, uh, which is obviously a good sign because now it it really seems like not not that they weren't doing this before, but with Liverpool you're just watching pretty much Spurs, Spurs, Arsenal. Arsenal's a little bit down there. They did they did look good with Nang's first game, but Spurs, Arsenal, Chelsea, and, and to a lesser extent United with kind of where they're at in the table, but just actively actively rooting against uh, those other sides and. and uh, but you're you're confident. You're confident that they're gonna they're gonna end up top four and you know hopefully finish above Spurs in, in the three hole. I'm really confident that we can challenge Manchester United for second spot. That's how confident I am. I think if you look at the season as a whole, where I'm looking at the league table as we speak, we're 51 points or five points behind Manchester United, one point ahead of Chelsea, two points ahead of Spurs. With the fixtures that are remaining, I'm really confident we're going to finish in the top four. Yeah, I'd, If I was to give you a percentage, I'd say I'm probably 85% that we're going to finish in awesome. the top four. Love that love that percentage there. And, and the only other big six, cl- big six clubs they got to play is United. Uh, at United, that's March 10th, an early game uh, that afternoon at United. So that will be one to watch. And then they have Chelsea at Chelsea, second last game of the season. Uh, hopefully they've got top four wrapped up by then for your for your. Uh, rooting interests. Um, but other than that, you know, it is a little bit of a light Premier League schedule uh, with not, with already having City out of the way, Arsenal out of the way, now Tottenham out of the way. Um, so, yeah, I, I don't necessarily disagree with the fact that you should be confident that they're going to finish top four. Like, let's not forget, Spurs have uh, an FA Cup replay. Spurs are still in the FA Cup. Chelsea have the League Cup final. Sorry, they're not the League Cup final. Arsenal, apologies. Chelsea have the FA Cup still to play. They've got Champions League games as well. They've got a small squad. Chelsea have probably got the smallest squad of the top six. Mm -hmm. So there's going to be fatigue for those clubs as well. And Conte will probably get sacked very soon. Yes, if they keep it up where they're, the way they're going now. But we'll shut it down there. Thank you so much for coming on. We really appreciate it. Once again, our guest today was Craig Holden. You can follow him on Twitter at copjaffer underscore LFC. We'll be tweeting out his name from the Talk to EPL uh, Twitter as well. He's podcast host, producer, and editor. He also always is on Periscope, halftime, full-time, reacting to every Liverpool match. And he's head of operations at Talk of the Terrace. You can follow that on Twitter at T-O-T-T Sport. A great follow there. So, Craig, we really appreciate you coming on, and we look forward to having you back on when uh, when Liverpool get going even, even more so than they are now. It's a pleasure. Come on after we win the Champions League if you want. That sounds fantastic. All right, ladies and gentlemen, now joining the Talk to EPL podcast is uh, Tottenham expert here, Tom Foynes. Tom is the co-host of the Tottenham Way podcast, which you can follow on Twitter at the Tottenham Way. And uh, in the bio there, as well as on iTunes, is uh, ways to listen to the podcast. So, Tom, first and foremost, uh, thanks for coming on to talk Tottenham, talk Spurs. No problem at all. Thank you for calling me a Tottenham expert as well. That's <laughs> uh, I enjoyed that. More of that, please. Uh, yeah, awesome. no, no problem, at all, mate. Awesome. And now, uh, before we jump into you know obviously reaction here, we're, we're taping about an hour and a half after uh, you know the Liverpool game. Uh, but talk first and foremost about your guys' podcast, what you guys do, and and, and what you're going to get if you follow at the Tottenham way. Great, yeah. Um, so we've been doing the Tottenham Way for, this is our third season, so we've been going for around two and a half years. 
Um, it started out as a blog. It used to be um, Dan Kilpatrick, who, who co-hosts with me. It used to be Dan's blog. Um, I did a couple of pieces for it, and we decided that um, it was perhaps a little bit too much work, so uh, started it up. And then around about four months into our first season, Dan actually got his job as the Tottenham correspondent for ESPN. Um, so he does all of their online content uh, and it's follow Spurs around the country and in Europe and he writes about them. So uh, if you listen to the Tottenham way, you'll get uh, kind of a fan's view, but also a journalist view. So he's, he's you know obviously quite well connected within the club now. He's been doing it for a couple of years um, we get quite a few journalists on. We also try and get as many fans on as possible so that we try and strike a bit of a balance between, you know, a bit partisan, but also, um, you know, the guys that are really in the know and they can give us a bit of an inside track on Spurs. So it's a weekly podcast. It's usually released on Monday evenings. Um, so we do a, a preview of the game coming up, but also a review of over the weekend. And obviously Dan can bring quite a lot of quotes and immediate reaction to the table as well. So, yeah, it's um, that's pretty much the long and short of it, really. Awesome. And now, yeah, we talk about you talk about reviewing games here. Uh, like I said, we're about an hour and a half out of the uh, Liverpool game. Talk about just your initial reaction to what was a wild, wild game. Yeah, um, I think uh, it's, it's you know it's well documented that Spurs have got this problem of going away to other top six teams um, and getting results out of performances where we we can sort of play reasonably well, we can control a lot of the play, but it doesn't ever really amount to anything. And I think a good example of that is the United game earlier this season when we were going toe-to-toe with them and then we conceded a last-minute goal uh, to Martial, I think it was, against United. Yeah. And for the first half, it kind of looked like the same sort of thing. There was good possession. We managed to keep the ball reasonably well without really creating anything. And then, I mean, obviously within three minutes, we're, we're already a goal down from Salah, um, who was just, just terrorised us all game. He's, he's a frightening, frightening player. And I think that he's somebody that uh, Liverpool might actually do quite well to hold on to if he carries on this sort of form. Um, second half, we improved a lot. I think we couldn't get a lot worse than the first half. And like I said, it's, you know, just now it's well documented that we have these problems away from home against the top top six or the other members of the top six. So for us to come out and just change our mentality a little bit and not panic and not concede another stupid goal, it's really positive for us. And I think it's something that we have to build on. And it's quite reminiscent of the 2-2 we got against Man City last season where we went 2-0 down actually to them and we weren't playing particularly well and they were pummeling us actually. And then in the space of kind of five minutes, we managed to uh, claw it back to 2-2 and just sort of rode our luck for the rest of the game. And it was kind of similar. Um, it's just that the last 10 minutes was was so frantic and so end-to-end and just breathless that I think that we did very well to come out of that with anything. But equally, we can be quite disappointed that we didn't win the game considering we had Harry Kane's penalty uh, at one all saved so it's very mixed emotions I don't really know how to feel about it yet I think it's going to take a lot longer than an hour and a half to really process it but at the end of the day you you can't really look at a, a point away at Anfield where they've already beaten um, you know Man City who are flying it, we can't really gar- grumble about that so I'm more Especially than happy to take well, exactly. Yeah, I mean, it could have been really ugly, and I think that we've got a, we do still have this for all the good that we've we've done over, with Pochettino over the last three years. We still have this tendency to to 
kind of collapse confidence wise and if something doesn't go our way if you look at you know the first goal was obviously really good opportunity um opportunism from Salah but he was gifted it by Dyer's poke through mm-hmm. straight through the middle of our two center backs um and that's the sort of thing that I think used to really really deflate us and does still now but to show the character to get through half time and then really pin them back I think we controlled the whole like pretty much the whole of the second half aside from the Liverpool goal so yeah, it's it's a good point, and in the context of this week as well, you know, we've had Man United in midweek too. To get four points out of those two games going into the derby is is massive, I think. Yeah, and and yeah, like like you said there, you know, if you're going into these last two games, United and Liverpool, uh, especially at Liverpool, um, and you you're getting four points, you would take that, you know, ten times out of ten, especially yeah, if absolutely. they're going to goal down you know, three minutes in at Anfield. Yeah, absolutely. It's a it's a, a really really good point. I think that the last ten minutes does kind of um, it kind of masks that because it was so frantic and because it was controversial and there was absolute you know screamers of a goal and then we had Salah doing his best Messi impression. Mm-hmm. It kind of all it, you lose the narrative a little bit there. And I think the real story is that we did battle back to a point at a place that is very very difficult to pick up results and in particular for us in recent years. Yeah, and next week uh, it doesn't get any easier. Next next weekend with Arsenal on the slate, but before that, now we got a replay against Newport County because of the the draw that happened in the FA Cup. Talk about just what your mindset would be going into this midweek match with Arsenal and Juventus on the horizon. Uh, a lot of switches in in the eleven, or, or what? What do you think? Yeah, they, well, Pochettino doesn't um, he doesn't make any secret about you know where he prioritizes the FA Cup we'd obviously love to love to win it but the the approach to the FA Cup is very much uh if we if we kind of luck our way to a semi or or to the final then that's when he'll really start to take it seriously he did it in his first season when we were in the league cup final and it wasn't until the semi the the two legs against Sheffield United that he really put out a strong team and I believe I think you know a good example is that Vorm, Mikel Vorm, our second choice, played all the way through until the final when he actually dropped him and played Loris, who's obviously our first choice. Um, and I think he'd pro- probably do pretty much the exact same thing this time. I think last season we got to the semis and Loris played in the semi-final against Chelsea. Vorm was injured, admittedly, but I do think that he Loris would have likely played there um, anyway. So it's we've got this a very balanced approach where we have to get lucky with our draws and we thought we got that with Newport first time round and then we obviously made things very very difficult for ourselves and it took a last minute cane tap in to um to get ourselves a replay what's good about this is that we've got a lot of players coming back and if you look at the likes of Toby Alderweireld and Danny Rose Wanyama who's getting more and more minutes under his belt Winks was back on the bench today as well there's quite a few players that need minutes quite desperately and there's quite a few players that could really do with the rest from us, particularly three days ahead of Arsenal. So I think we're going to see a big, a heavily rotated side, um, but probably a much better rotated side than what we first played at Newport. Um, it was quite ragtag and put together and you know the pitch was very heavy and probably wasn't great for what were at the time sort of tired and um, and and sort of still suffering limbs a little bit. So yeah. I think it's it's a very different game at Wembley. We're still going to be able to put a strong side out. I think we'll be absolutely fine. I, I really don't see there being any problems. I know that's famous last words, but yeah. I think we'll be absolutely fine. And uh, so now you know we'll talk a little more EPL top four uh, before, but 
before we we end we end here. But um, just talk about Champions League, the, the draw of Juventus. What, where you think uh, you know what you think about that matchup, and you know where how you see it kind of unfolding. Um, you know, I'll have to admit, I, I don't know a hell of a lot about Juventus apart mm. from probably what everybody knows. You know, you think of Buffon and Dybala and, and you know, some, some incredible players. I know that Dybala is struggling for fitness and I do think that it could come down to something like that where the small margins like that, um, you know, if a player is not available to play for one of the two sides, it could just be, it could come down to that because I think that it's actually quite a more evenly matched tie than people perhaps giving it credit for. And I think that's purely because Juventus is such a huge name. Mm-hmm. Um, but they're not flying well as well. in the competition these last two years. Yeah, well. yeah. It, they were, you know, they they deserve the the the, uh, the mantle that they're put on, of course. But I, I think that they'll do well not to underestimate us because it seems as though Pochettino's really got a bug for the Champions League this season, and he, in in a way that really didn't have last season. Last season was was very poor, and if there's something that Pochettino does every single season at Spurs, more or less, is he improves on areas where we've been drastically bad in the past. So if you look at the way that we finished the season when we lost to Southampton and Newcastle, and eventually finished below Arsenal. The season after that, we blew away um, Leicester and Hull, scoring sort of 13 goals in the process. And I think that the Champions League was the one that before this season he looked at and just thought, right, we're we're going to actually put this right and we're going to show that we deserve to be here and we deserve to be at the top table. And I think that that approach is permeated to, to the players. And the Real Madrid results is obviously a good indicator of that. Absolutely. But, yeah. Going away to Dortmund and winning there, which is, you know, I don't think an English team had done that I'm not sure if it's ever or if it's certainly been a long, long time. Um, you know, it went through unbeaten. Um, we, we've got a hell of a chance if we take the same sort of approach to Juventus, certainly at Wembley, and that's in the second leg, which is the, the prize for obviously finishing top. And, and I think a lot of it's going to come down to fitness as well. So, you know, if Toby Alderweireld's back and Danny Rose is back and Harry Kane stays fit, Ericsson stays fit, then I really don't see any reason why we shouldn't be looking at that and saying, if it all goes our way, we could get through that and then we're in the quarterfinals. But it's very difficult. It's it's difficult to see us going to Turin and, and getting anything above a draw, but stranger things have happened. So Before before we talk, just wrapping up uh, EPL Top 4, talk talk about the, the January window, um, kind of what what your whole takeaway was on, on the people who came in. If, and the uh, big sign from PSG. Yeah. Go ahead. Yeah, I think um, I'm, I'm more than happy with it, really. We don't tend to do business in January as a club. I think the last time we ever did any major business in January was actually when we signed Ali um, and loaned him back to MK Dons. And I think that the, the talk at the start of the window, certainly from Dan's insider point of view, was that if we do any business at all, then it's going to be that sort of deal that we do. We'll go to perhaps, you know, Ryan Sessegnon or something like that from Fulham and loan him back. So we weren't really going into the window with any expectation at all. And then I think just an opportunity presented itself for us to sign a, you know, a really good, very, very good player for a price that is probably quite unheard of for the level that he's supposedly at. 25 million is, is nothing nowadays, really. He's, he's actually coming in as our, I think it's our fifth most expensive signing ever. Um, so he hasn't got that um, that price tag and that that albatross, you know, around his neck to to really struggle with, which other players have done at Spurs. 
Um, he's he's pacey, he's tricky. We are, if you're going to look at the squad as it was before Mora came in, you'd say that the one thing that we're really, really missing is pace. And I think that Son has, has addressed that, or the way that we've used Son, particularly at Wembley, has really addressed that. But I think that you, you look at anything, he can't do it all on his own. And while Sissoko's doing a certain um, a certain job, which some people are happy with and many more others aren't, um, he's not really providing that sort of pacey wing option, which we thought he might be when he first joined. So the thing to say on Mora, though, just, just before the, to wrap up on that, is that Dan um, was at Pochettino's press conference the other day and said on the Tottenham Way this week for the episode that He's Pochettino's very much playing down the immediate impact that Mora might have. So we talk about Newport coming up in midweek. I think everyone looked at it and said, yeah, he's definitely going to make his debut there. I really wouldn't be surprised if we don't see him until maybe even the second leg of the Champions League. He has been registered. Pochettino's took out um, Nkudu, who's gone on loan, and Juan Foyth, the centre-back. And he's brought in uh, Lamella, who's coming back from injury, and Mora himself. And I think... I think he's obviously looking at that thinking he's definitely got a use for him, but we're not going to see him early doors, I don't think. He's got he's had a, a really lit, small amount of football this season and the way that Pochettino demands uh, you know, the, the high press and um, the fitness side of things from his teams, just because we've gone out and signed him in January doesn't mean he's he's going to just walk into the starting lineup or the match day squad. He's got a lot of work to do before he's ready, I think. So it's exciting, and we're all happy to get something like a player like him on board, but probably can't expect him to do all too much too soon, I don't think. Yeah, and and getting four points these last two games makes it a lot easier not to panic and and rush him into the side, which which is beneficial to him. And yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think there's probably a danger of that of just us thinking, well, we've signed him, and th- if something hadn't gone right in the last four days, we we could have always looked at each other and said, this guy needs to get in sooner rather than later, but. I think it's done him a favour on a, on a personal level um, that we've done so well in the last two games because otherwise there could have been that that, uh, that temptation to risk him and, and get him in a little bit earlier than he's perhaps ready for. Absolutely. And now, so back to the to the Premier League and, and Tottenham sitting in fifth right now, two points off Liverpool, who's in third, um, one point off of Chelsea, who's in fourth, but they play tomorrow uh, at time of taping here. And then, what we said these last four days with United, Liverpool, those are the you know, top six sides out of the way. They still have Arsenal next weekend, Chelsea, Man City uh, on, the, on the docket for the rest of the season. How do you, you know, if you were to look into a crystal ball, how would you, you know, estimate finishing top four uh, and you know, where, where do you see them falling in the table when it's all said and done? Um, I think it's so, it's so difficult to predict because if you take out Man City of the equation in, at the top of the league, Mm-hmm. If if Man City didn't, you know, essentially financially dope their way to the top of the <laughs> league by such a such a uh, a large amount, then this would be one of the most exciting title races in years because we're actually not that far off Man United in second either. Exactly. So, I think I think we're in a really good position. We're we it's always it's like when people look at the championship and look at who gets into the playoffs. You're almost much better off starting a little bit lower down and hitting a run of form late in the season than getting those points on the board and then sort of stuttering over the line at the end. And it's kind of similar to the way that we're doing it. We've we've sort of limped through um, until November, December, which is when we really kick on in the season anyway, generally. We had a really, really good Christmas, probably the West Ham result aside, just in the, uh, the start of the new year. 
and then we've we've just dropped off a tiny just a tiny amount you know the Southampton draw was disappointing but we can take a lot from the last week and I think if we beat Arsenal we're we are quite well clear of them in sixth and we probably don't really need to be looking over our shoulder so much mm-hmm. Chelsea are it's difficult to say and again it's all famous last words but they just look like a club in a bit of crisis and I think if there's ever a year where we could go to Stamford Bridge and actually end the 20 whatever it, 28 years or whatever it is um, however long we haven't won there then this is the season that we should really be doing it so it looks as if we're actually in a really good position because you know Man City at home aside we've got some very favourable fixtures it's one of the things about being a London club as well is that you you have more teams just who are desperate to beat you who aren't rivals for anything you know any achievement that you're trying to get in in the league if we've got West Ham and Crystal Palace for example that Mm. see us as a London derby that treat us you know as a game they desperately want to win even though their priorities are very very different to ours so it's difficult but I think that you'd still class them as a favourable fixture Um, I think I think we could sneak forth to be honest and I think it could be at the expense of Chelsea and I think if it's not um, then it would be it would be a shame for one of Spurs or Liverpool to miss out because Chelsea have got in and even Man United to an extent as well but it looks as if they're going to be absolutely fine um, probably second or third for them so I think we're in a good position I just wouldn't be I wouldn't be hugely surprised if we do miss out but then I also I don't think it's a massive disaster for us it's it's not good for going into the new stadium to not have Champions League football but I think that Levy Daniel Levy would have more of a problem with that than Pochettino would I think most of the players want to stay and have at least one season in the pre- in the new stadium next season. So I don't think there's a huge risk of anyone leaving aside from perhaps Danny Rose. So it wouldn't be the end of the world if we don't get top four, but I think we're in as good a position as anyone else to actually get that. And it, it would be pretty special to open the new stadium with Champions League football. I can't, I can't deny that. Absolutely. And, and like you said, Chelsea appear to be stuttering right now and it would be a shame for the two high-flying clubs like Tottenham or uh, or Liverpool to miss out on uh, the top four. And this uh, mm-hmm. this this game against Arsenal this upcoming weekend, uh, it's at home, uh, which is a good sign, not that it's too far away, obviously, um, for, <laughs> for Arsenal traveling. But uh, just give us a little thought for, for next weekend because this will go live on Tuesday. People will be thinking, you know, Newport County as well as the big Arsenal matchup. Um, well, if- after you after it, Arsenal, you know what they did this weekend to Everton. To yeah, well, I, I mean, it's all very, it's very easy to look at Arsenal that Arsenal performance and sort of proclaim that it's a new era with the new signings and stuff. But exactly. and this isn't just me being you know a salty Spurs fan and whatever. You know, I I got no time for him obviously, but I am <laughs> pretty. I'm I'm hopefully pretty impartial when it comes to sort of commenting on them. I'm not. Um, it's. It's Everton, and Everton are dross. They are a criminal in defence. We played them and absolutely took them apart as well. So I think that they should be very careful about proclaiming that there's a new a new era. But if there is a game where they're actually going to cement that, then it is Tottenham away. One thing I will say is that Arsenal's away form this season is, is really, really poor. And our form at Wembley is, um, is pretty good, actually. Since that opening game uh, against Chelsea, the second game of the season, but the first at Wembley, we haven't lost there. And while there's been a few disappointing results, maybe we were doing it last season at White Hart Lane when we only dropped four points all season, um, 
apart from the few, a couple of disappointing results, we've been absolutely fine at Wembley. We really have, and we've not just sort of struggled through. We've played some really good football there, um, which I think is you know doesn't buy into the whole media narrative that we're at Wembley and we don't win there. It's just an absolute nonsense now. So from a purely footballing point of view, it does look as if we're in a good position to go to go into the derby and win it. Uh, I kind of thought the same earlier on this season and we ended up losing 2-0, but that was very much Sanchez was the architect of that and he's now gone. I, Mkhitaryan's a really good player. I think Aubameyang's a really good player, but they haven't sorted out the one problem which uh, has been evident for two and a half seasons with them is, is their defence and goalkeeper. You know, and Arsene Wenger is a, a manager in decline and he can't organise a bad defence. He can't organise a good defence even when they had that. So... Mm. For us, if you look at the way that we eventually got round to really attacking Liverpool's back line, and I would say Liverpool's back line is a, a lot better drilled and a lot better per, on an individual level than Arsenal's. If we play like we did in the second half against Liverpool with a lot of control and really high up the pitch, then I think we can do them quite a lot of damage. And it might come down to one of those that just who scores the most goals. Um, and really, we have we could have a fit out of our old back by then. We've got Vertonghen, who's been probably our player of the season behind Kane this season so far um, you know we have got a better defence so I would cautiously say that we probably should be looking at a 2-0 2-1 to Spurs but that's the best thing about Derby it can go any way and that's why it's it's always so interesting and why the North London Derby is probably one of the better derbies in the league. Absolutely and and thank you very much for uh, we'll shut it down now thank you very much for coming on here and uh, you know we'll no worries to that uh that game Saturday against Arsenal. So once again, this was Tom Foynes of the uh, Tottenham Way podcast. You can follow him on Twitter at Tom Foynes, F-O-I-N-S, as well as the Tottenham Way on Twitter. Just the, the handle right there is the Tottenham Way. The Every Wednesday night, right, you guys will be pumping out a great podcast. Uh, yeah, every Monday. We so record Monday. Monday. Generally, generally try and release Monday night, if not Tuesday, yeah. Oh, beautiful. So uh, thank you very much again for coming on. We'd like to have you back on You're welcome. in the season and talking all things Spurs. So uh, congrats on Great getting stuff. the point today after going down one nothing, and, and uh, enjoy the rest of your week. Thanks very much. Have a good one. Sounds good. All right, ladies and gentlemen, I'm pleased to welcome back to the Talk to EPL podcast, Jack Critchley. Jack is a broadcaster and commentator for ITN, Signal, William Hill's betting TV, and In Play Radio. He's also a betting writer for That's a Goal and ICS, amongst others, and has his own blog, uh, Jack of All Tips, which you can follow on Twitter. And then you can also follow Jack on Twitter at jcritch7. So, Jack, welcome back. Thanks for coming on. Yeah, good to be back. Thank you very much. Awesome. So you, you'll come on every week, give us the hat trick, give us the three picks for the upcoming match week. And uh, yeah. that happens to be the weekend slate here. So talk about you have one game on Saturday, two on Sunday. What do we got for Saturday? Yeah, Saturday, I'm going for, uh, well, last week we uh, landed a few, but we just missed out on the draw narrowly by a single goal between West Brom and Southampton. So I'm going back in on a draw here. Uh, this is in the game between Swansea and Burnley. Um, well, Swansea, obviously, are struggling down the bottom of the table. Um, but under their new manager, Carlos Cavalhal, they are beating Liverpool, of course, and then also going on to beat Arsenal and then drawing with uh, Leicester last time out. But uh, from speaking to the... Um, commentators who worked on that game, they were a little, little bit lucky to get that 
disappointment against Leicester, who kind of threw that match away. Uh, back at home, though, this is a Burnley side who held Manchester City to a draw last weekend. Also drew away at Newcastle as well, which is never an easy place to go. And actually only lost by a single goal to both Manchester United and Liverpool recently. Always set up defensively. Um, they're robust. They're hard to break down. They work hard for one another. And a few of their injuries are starting to uh, sort of lighten now and they are getting players back. So I think that Swansea, very difficult to be under their new manager, will be hard to get past Burnley. Likewise, I think both teams will have to settle for a point here. So I'm going for the draw between Swansea and Burnley, and it's uh, priced at two to one. Awesome. And now, uh, now it's spinning over to Sunday. What's the first match on Sunday you like? Yeah, there's, uh, so we're going to do two matches on Sunday. There's three in total uh, from the Premier League. I'm going to start with the early game, which is the midday kick day kickoff here in the UK. Uh, it's Huddersfield taking on Bournemouth now. Huddersfield. I think most people kind of believe their early season form was very much, you know, momentum from getting up from the championship. And that bubble was well and truly burst. Uh, they are the joint lowest scorers in the league. They have lost five games in a row. They've won six all season, but they lost 3-0 at Leicester, 4-1 to West Ham, 2-0 at Stoke, 3-0 at Liverpool and 2-0 against Manchester United. Now, they haven't scored since the 13th of January, so coming up to a month. And um, they face... Uh, tricky tie against Bournemouth. Yes, OK, Huddersfield are better at home, but they're playing a Bournemouth side who have won three of four, which included that thumping victory over Chelsea. They also beat Stoke as well and Arsenal and held uh, Brighton and West Ham to draws on the road. So I'm more than happy to take 13-8 to eight on the Cherries here to pick up an away win, continue that unbeaten run. They're up into ninth now in the Premier League table, so they are uh, climbing into the top half, and Eddie Halside will have their sights set on a top-half finish against the Huddersfield side, who are just, at the moment, so bereft of confidence. And, yeah, 46 goals conceded in 26 games is uh, very poor indeed, and I think a return to the Championship might beckon. Absolutely, and the... Um... Bournemouth was down one nothing uh, to Stoke this week, and obviously came back thumped them, like you said, three uh, one. So don't be don't be too afraid if they do actually fall you know, fall down one early. These guys have obviously proven they can come back and have the firepower to do so, especially against the bottom side. So what's the uh, what's the third and final bet here? The hat trick, uh, three bets each and every week here on the Talk to EPL podcast from uh, Jack Critchley. Yeah, I'm dipping into this game between Southampton and Liverpool, which is the uh, later kickoff on the Sunday. Um, so we've seen a lot of Liverpool this season, ups and downs, ups and more downs and various different undulations. Just when you think they're getting going, they throw in an absolute stinker, as they did against uh, Swansea. Uh, they also looked like they were in a winning position against Spurs, of course, on uh, last weekend. And again, conceded late on to just pick up a single point. So they're travelling to a Southampton side who, OK, not in particularly good form, and I know I've written them off before plenty of times, but they're hard to beat Southampton, and um, they have, they've been main unbeaten in the last four games, three draws and a win. Of course, they put three past West Brom. There's a bit of confidence coming into this side now, uh, and Southampton have scored in each of the last five games, one against Palace, two against Watford, one against Spurs. So they held Spurs here to a one-all draw, one against Brighton and three against West Brom. So I think they can get on the score sheet here, Southampton. And of course, we know all about Liverpool's uh, defensive uh, frailties. They are the, uh, the side who've conceded the highest amount in the top five with 31 goals. But the other end, they've also scored 59. So I think a high-scoring affair here. If you fancy over two and a half goals, I wouldn't dissuade you. It is seven to ten, so it's absolutely fine as a single bet. But if you're looking for uh, just a little bit more value, just to push it out, uh, then you can get 10 to 11 on both teams to score and over two and a half goals here. So you think three goals at least 
to be spread around between the two teams. But I think at St Mary's, I think Southampton can get on the score sheet. They've hit 28 and 26 throughout the season, but 16 of those 28 have come at home. And as I mentioned, they scored against Spurs. Um, they scored against Leicester. They, they average about one goal a game at home. And I think Southampton, who are good, they're okay. They're okay, but they're good for a goal here. They scored against Arsenal, of course, here as well. But the, strangely, the only team they've failed to score against since the end of September is Burnley when they lost 1-0. Uh, they also failed to score against Manchester United, but that was all the way back in September. So Southampton more than good enough for a goal here against a, a disastrously defensive uh, Liverpool side. So, um, yeah, I'm going to take over two and a half goals and both teams to score, and it's uh, just short of even money. Awesome. So over two and a half goals, both teams to score there in the Liverpool-Southampton tie on later on Saturday. Uh, just real, real, real quick, let's go back to Saturday yep. and Sunday uh, early. What's the what's the lock in the two bets, just to remind everyone? Yep, so that's the late Sunday game, Southampton-Liverpool. Um, back in Bournemouth, away at Huddersfield, 13-8. Uh, to eight. That's the early game on the Sunday. And I'm going for the draw again. We're going to try the draw on Saturday between uh, Swansea and Burnley. Two teams are very, very tough to beat. There it is. So you got the hat trick there from Jack Critchley. Jack, once again, broadcaster and commentator for ITN, Signal, William Hills <laughs> Betting, and In Play Radio. Uh, football betting writer for That's a Goal, as well as uh, ICS and his new blog, which is follow on Twitter at Tips of or uh, Jack of All Tips. So, Jack Critchley, we really appreciate you coming on. Yeah. And I look forward to your tips next week. Thank you very much for having me.